Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you everybody for joining me today for a very informative show with my guest, Dr. Nuzat Chalisa. She is an endocrinologist with a focus on diabetes and obesity. Welcome to the podcast today, Nizat. Thank you, Marsha. It's a pleasure to be here. It is, it's, it is really a pleasure to be here because, frankly, I don't think there's anyone that's going to be listening to our time together that doesn't know somebody that has been affected by diabetes. And, and you, are the, you are the person that's going to inform us about what it is we need to know. And I think it's really, really an important, informative subject. So um, just before we get into the actual meat of our show, so to speak, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your profession? Sure. So I'm a clinical endocrinologist. I've been working in suburban Chicago area for about 23 years. And for those who don't know, endocrinologists are specialists who manage diseases related to hormonal problems. And when you say hormonal, sometimes people think we're talking about reproductive hormones like estrogen and testosterone, and that is true. But in reality, there are several different hormones produced by various glands in your body, like thyroid, pancreas, adrenal, pituitary glands. And if there's a problem with any of these glands, there's an imbalance in the production of these hormones, which leads to various disease states. And diabetes is certainly a big example of one of these problems. That you know that's that's really interesting, and I would like because I know that people are really going to be interested in this subject. I would like to let people know right off the top, and I will let people know about this on my website as well, how they can find you. So I'm going to spell your name, and then people can look you up for themselves. It is spelled sure. n u w w dot n u z h a T C H A L I S A M D dot com. So that will allow people to to find you um, as as they're listening, or when or when the podcast is over, because I really do think that um, your information is vital. So with that in mind, I'm just kind of curious, um, what drew you into this particular um, profession in medicine? Yeah, so endocrinology is a very challenging field. Every case in um, endocrinology is like a puzzle. Nothing is straightforward. You have to uh, put the pieces of puzzle together to solve a case. And I like the challenging nature of endocrinology. And besides that, um, diabetes ran in my family. Uh, Seeing many of my family members die from complications of diabetes was probably one of the reasons besides my own interest that attracted me towards this area of medicine. 
That's 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 very interesting because it it affects so many people, doesn't it? I mean it it yeah. it really does. And and you and you've given me um, an interesting lead into something that I think is very very important because you mentioned members of your family and you actually have started a nonprofit that you are the the founder and the president of of Kisat Diabetes Organization. How how did you come up with that name? So uh, Kishat is actually uh, my uh, family name from my uh, father's side. And mm-hmm. uh, Kishat Diabetes is the organization that I formed after my father passed away in 2012 from complications uh, of diabetes. And I'd like to uh, briefly share his story um, um, that my father came to United States in his early 50s. He uh, faced uh, the usual struggles that most immigrants have to face. He was working long hours and uh, his own health at the back burner. He did not get any routine care after he moved here uh, until he had a massive heart attack requiring bypass surgery. And it was during that hospitalization that when he found out that he had type 2 diabetes. Even after the surgery, he didn't really get uh, much care and continued to have uncontrolled diabetes and started developing complications from diabetes. He had diffuse small vessel disease, which means the smaller branches of his heart were blocked. So even though he had bypass surgery, because those smaller branches were blocked, um, he, he still had issues with circulation. Subsequently, he had a progressive decline in kidney function and developed end-stage renal disease requiring dialysis. He was taking insulin injections, and um, his feet started getting numb due to neuropathy. His pulses were feeble because he had blockages in the small vessels in his feet. And his heart um, uh, had a progressive uh, function had progressively declined. Um, he was advised surgery for his um, feet, but because his heart was so weak, he had to get the defibrillator. Uh, while awaiting to get the defibrillator, his condition worsened. He developed gangrene of his feet and oh with a wide amputation. And uh, he uh, basically was admitted for hospital for surgery. He celebrated his 78th birthday with us. And while waiting for his surgery, uh, he actually developed sepsis and passed away even before he could have that. Marsha, this is not an uncommon story. Being a diabetic specialist, I have seen this story repeated with many of my patients with uncontrolled diabetes. And But seeing my father die from this complications of diabetes, my outlook on diabetes was forever changed. Knowing firsthand how infinite life can be, I began to really question my purpose. And I this led to the foundation of my nonprofit organization. Wow. You know, it, it's it's interesting the path that we take in life, right? Who who yes. you 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 didn't see this necessarily coming. And uh, as I mentioned at the top when we first started speaking to each other, I don't think there's a family that doesn't have some knowledge of someone either themselves or someone in their family that can relate to what you're talking about. I'm I'm really big into definitions, so um, I will probably ask a lot of defining questions today, just yep. so that 
if I'm asking that question, perhaps somebody else is wondering the same thing. For those that are listening, you mentioned type 2 diabetes. Can you tell our listeners the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Sure. So before I do that, I just wanted to briefly describe what diabetes is. And diabetes is a condition in which your body is not able to process glucose properly and consume it as energy, consume it as energy. Under normal circumstances, when you eat, your food is converted into glucose, which then enters into the circulation and is carried to your tissues where it's used as energy. But for glucose to enter into the cells, you need insulin, which is a hormone that's made by the pancreas. And basically, insulin serves as a key for glucose to enter into the cells. Now, diabetes is broadly classified into type 1 and type 2 diabetes. In type 1 diabetes, there is complete deficiency of insulin. So these people have to go on insulin injections right from the beginning. Whereas in type 2 diabetes, there is some insulin present, and there is also insulin resistance, which means the insulin that you have is not good quality, and it's not doing the job of making the glucose enter the cells. So in type 2 diabetes, can, uh, people can take some oral medications and other injectables besides insulin, uh, since there is not an absolute deficiency of insulin. Is, has, is type 1 diabetes also known to some people as juvenile diabetes? Yes, type 1 diabetes has, is known as juvenile diabetes. As years ago, it used to only happen, it used to be diagnosed in kids, However, now it can happen at any time in the life. So an adult can also develop type 1 diabetes. Oh, that's very interesting. That, that is something I didn't know. And it's interesting yeah. that you say that because I have a personal um, connection to, di- to type 1 diabetes where a very close friend's son was diagnosed at 2 and a half, but her older son started showing symptoms at 15, and that's when he was diagnosed. So I I, I didn't realize that there's no age limit as to the type 1 difference. So that that I appreciate. You know, you're the expert, and I I am so um, grateful that you're sharing that expertise with us today. Uh, Now, you you talked about um, you started your nonprofit. Uh, Tell us, Tell us about what you what you're doing with your nonprofit. So the main mission of the nonprofit organization was to create awareness about diabetes by uh, providing early screening and education. So that's what we do. We try to work with uh, different communities and uh, nursing homes and senior centers. Uh, and uh, try to um, help those who are underserved uh, so we can uh, provide them the opportunity to do early screening for diabetes. And if they don't have an opportunity to see a physician, we help them find those resources and help them um, learn more about their diabetes and help them manage. That, that's terrific, and I'm going to I'm going to do another spelling right now for those of you that are listening, because this is an exceptional website, and it appears, as I as I look at that as I'm speaking to you, it looks like there are many many family members that are part of your team. So I'm going to spell it, 
and it's spelled K-I-S, like Sam, K-I-S-A-T, diabetes. For those of you that are troubling spelling the diabetes, I'm going to spell that as well. So it's K-I-S-A-T-D-I-A-B-E-T-E-S dot org. And when you go there, there's all kinds of information there. I, you, you're doing lots of wonderful things, and I know you do fundraising, and I know that you have an exceptional mission. Are, there, are, are, are all of the members that are on your team, are they all family members? Uh, no, there is a mix of family members and uh, some friends and other members who are very passionate about diabetes. Great. And I, I also appreciate the fact, and every .org should be able to do that, and that is there is a donate button there. And for people that have a real sense of, you know, what they could do to help, um, there there is um, an, an ability to, to make a donation to that to that cause. So you mentioned that, that insulin is a hormone to the pancreas. Um, and is that where the problem begins? Yes. So pancreas is where uh, there were some of the, the beta cells in the pancreas, they secrete insulin. So that's when the pro- problem starts. When you have type 1, it's usually autoimmune-mediated, meaning your own body cells start destroying those beta cells and your body stops making insulin. Whereas when you have type 2, it's, uh, it has a different kind of origin where your pancreatic cells, um, they make insulin, but that insulin quality is not good. I see. Do they sometimes call that pancreatitis? Or well, is that unrelated? Pancreatitis, uh, pancreatitis is actually a slightly different. Uh, pancreatitis is an infection of the pancreas. And pancreas has different kind of cells and different parts, which does different performs different functions. So that's slightly different than diabetes. I see. And another, I guess, another curiosity that I have um, is, is, is type 2 diabetes, is it hereditary? Uh, yes. Type 2 diabetes uh, usually is uh, hereditary. It runs in families. Uh, and even uh, type 1 is hereditary. But in oh. type 2, the advantage is that in type 2 diabetes is completely preventable. So by modifying your diet and by um, having a healthy lifestyle, one can completely prevent it, even if you have family members with diabetes in your family. Interesting. So you meant, I mean, we're we're absolutely going to talk about your book because your book is so important, and we will get to that. But I'm just curious, um, based on your experience, and it's well over 20 years of doing this, why why is it why is diabetes so hard to manage? So, you know, diabetes is a chronic disease disease and unlike um, some other chronic diseases, managing diabetes is is complex because successful diabetes management requires that people create new habits around their medication, adherence and glucose monitoring and uh, they have to modify their diet, they have to stay physically active. And it's difficult to do this long-term day after day. And um, diabetes, you know, cannot be cured, but it can be completely controlled. And one of the problems with diabetes is lack of symptoms. Because when people have 
conditions where which is a which is accompanied by pain for example um it's you know when you have pain you try to take help for get help for that but when you have no symptoms people think that they're doing fine even if they're already developing complications interesting well for all of us that ideally should be getting a a physical exam every year i know it's part of my healthy lifestyle and I'm not in the younger generation, you know, I'm in my 70s. I know that part of of going to the doctor is having blood work done and and they they test for diabetes as part of that panel. Am I right about that? Absolutely. Every uh every person over 40 years of age is uh the guideline says that anyone who is over 40 years of age must get a checkup for diabetes at least once a year. and sometimes if you are uh, a pre-diabetic or if you are at high risk uh it's even recommended to get it done more than once a year what's that's interesting to know so you used a term that i think would be very helpful to also define and you used the term pre-diabetic so what is the definition of a pre-diabetic sure so pre-diabetes is a condition when your glucose is not normal but it's also not in diabetic range and that is usually your window of opportunity to do something to prevent diabetes because that's a, that's a situation when you're at high risk for getting diabetes but you're not quite yet there so for example the glucose of over 100 is considered pre-diabetes so anything under 100 is normal from 100 to 124 is diabetes is pre-diabetes and anything over 125 and above is considered diabetes and i'm talking about fasting glucose so pre-diabetes is really a time when you can modify your lifestyle and change your habits and prevent yourself from getting diabetes i so see if you go for early screening if you go for screening uh test and if you're if they find out that you're pre-diabetes then they can let you know and you can start working on modifying your lifestyle. And does and we're going to talk a lot about this because I know your book really does um go into this, but I I'm just sort of thinking um out loud. So you mentioned, you know, what you eat. Does um it also is your physical activity does that also play a part in that as well? Absolutely diet and physical activity go hand in hand so you have to modify your diet but staying physically active definitely helps uh not only with diabetes but with your cardiovascular health Sure that makes total sense you know so we've talked about this cardiovascular health that you're speaking about and I did hear you say clearly that when people want to know can it be cured your answer is no it cannot be cured but it can be controlled and i think that that should give people hope it's like well gosh if i've got it then what's the point the point is you can yeah. control it and there are methodologies in which to control it which we're going to continue to talk about but i'm thinking about um what impact does diabetes have on one's mental health but- in with diabetes acceptance and education i think are the key players um 
you know, healthcare professionals, um, they try to um, help patients accept the diagnosis and empower them with accurate information, and that's the key. Once the people have the right mindset, they'll be more open to use the tools that we offer and then make the necessary changes in the diet and lifestyle. And then if we, when, when we check in with the patients, usually when patients get diagnosed um, early on, we, we try to check in with them sooner. We see them every couple of months instead of seeing them every three to four months so we can help them uh, go through them, make that acceptance easier for them and help them take care of themselves. Uh, for some people, diabetes really doesn't become real until they develop complications. So having those one-on-one -on -one conversations with them and educating them really helps. It's also important for people to know about the complications that can occur uh, if they don't make any changes in the diet and the lifestyle. Why don't, why don't we talk about that? What are some of those complications that can result from diabetes? So diabetes complications can sometimes be very debilitating, but the good thing, again, is that it's preventable. Like high blood glucose can cause widespread damage to your both small as well as large blood vessels throughout the body, which causes narrowing and blockage of arteries in a similar fashion like heart disease. And that is why we call, in, in medical terminology, we call diabetes as a coronary artery disease equivalent, which means if someone has diabetes, they have the same risk of having heart, heart attack like as if they have already had a heart attack. Mm. Also, diabetes increases the risk of kidney failure, stroke, nerve damage. Um, it can cause blindness. Uh, because there is circulation problems, people develop gangrene, and lead, that leads to amputation. Wow. That's, that's very interesting. Um, does being overweight or obese, whichever term people like to use to describe that, does that also have an impact on diabetes? It definitely does. Sadly, 90% of the people with diabetes are either overweight or have obesity. And But the good thing, again, is that studies have shown that losing as little as even 5% of your body weight can significantly lower your risk of complications from diabetes as well as cardiovascular disease. So we strongly encourage people to um, try and, and lose weight. And luckily now we have medications that we use for diabetes management that also helps losing weight. I think I read somewhere that there was just this staggering, I think I got this from you, the staggering statistic of where diabetes is headed. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, by well, the statistics show that by 19 uh by 20 2030, one in 10 people will have diabetes. And that's that's really uh stunning and as if this continues to go on, uh, this is just going to go get keep getting worse because not only diabetes but uh the incidence of uh, obesity is continuously increasing, and the more people we have with obesity, uh, diabetes is just going to keep getting worse. Mm -hmm. Just, just out of curiosity, I think I really know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask it: Is there a different definition for being obese 
from being overweight? Is there is there a percentage? Is there a weight? Is are the two the same? Do, do they mean the same thing? Yeah, so there, is, there are many parameters that we use to uh, uh, to define how weight and uh, obesity, but basically we use BMI as a cutoff, and uh, a BMI of 20, up to 29 is considered overweight, and a BMI of 30 and above is considered obese. So if you have a BMI that's 13 above, you're, you are coming to the category of obesity. And it, it really doesn't matter your age. So when we were speaking about the type 1, which people used to call back in the days juvenile diabetes, what my, my sense is is that you could be a 12-year-old and be obese and be a diabetic, correct? It's not just, it's not just an adult disorder. That is correct. Uh, like I said, type 1 diabetes can happen in adults, and type 2 diabetes, which is thought to be an adult disease, can actually happen in children, and we are seeing more and more kids developing type 2 diabetes. Uh, we have kids as young as 3- and 4-year-olds who have type 2 diabetes. Wow. Wow, that's really, that's, that's really, I'm, I guess I'm shocked by that. I, I don't know why I'm shocked by that. I guess I just... I wasn't aware of that, and maybe people that are listening maybe are not aware of that as well. Um, do you think that um, do you think that the pandemic has played a part in this for for many families? Yeah, pandemics have uh, not been very good for diabetics, like many other chronic illnesses. And people with diabetes um, did not do well with COVID infections. And we now have so many studies that have shown that people who are admitted with uh, COVID and diabetes had a much higher rate of mortality compared to others. Also, diabetics in general have a weak immune system, and therefore they are prone to any infection. Uh, and, and therefore, like any other infection, uh, COVID was, or they were also prone to COVID infection. And when they were hospitalized, uh, we used steroids for treatment of COVID, and that makes diabetes worse. So it made um, diabetes management very challenging. Wow. That's too, you know, it's funny. Where my mind went is, particularly I'm thinking about children, but it's, it's, it's true in adults as well. With so many children, maybe not so much in the last four or five or six months, but certainly at the beginning. I mean, no one was going outside. No one was exercising. Children weren't running and chasing each other on the playground, but they might be eating more ice cream than they've ever eaten before because they're home. And I I just, I wondered if, if part of not just, the medical side of COVID and, and infections and perhaps, like you mentioned, being hospitalized and, and, and that aspect. But I was just wondering, lifestyle-wise, do you think that COVID um, and this pandemic also played a part in that, react, in that part as well? Absolutely. People, uh, because uh, it is kind of restricted people from physical activity, also access to medication. People were struggling uh, seeing the physicians. They were struggling getting the medications and the glucose in their monitoring supplies. 
Um, so I think from all aspects of uh, uh, diabetes, it was very challenging. I bet. It seems to me that if I have this correct in my mind and I'm thinking about some family members, is there is do they do home tests where they like you know take a blood you know put a pin into your finger grab some blood put it on something and home test their themselves is that is that something that people can do at home to see their numbers yes yes so diabetes people who have diabetes are actually advised to monitor their glucose regularly um, at home and we call it uh, finger stick glucose monitoring where they stick their fingers and they get a drop of blood out and they test it and they can they are diabetics are actually advised to check that regularly at least two three times a day uh, and rec- and keep a record of that which they can share with the physician and it also tells them how they are doing that's great and you know in today's society you know 20 years we would we didn't have youtube but in today's society for people that or on their computers or their smart devices, you know, you can literally Google, as they say, anything and Absolutely. and and get information about, you know, how how to do that. I I would I would imagine that any physician that's treating their patient would give them very concise information. It's like, I don't know, does it matter which finger you use? I would imagine your finger could get pretty pretty sore after a while if you're doing it two or three times a day. Does that matter? Yeah, that is. Um, we, we do recommend people to use different fingers at a time, but sometimes it's very hard for diabetics because if they have neuropathy, it gets very painful for them. And yes. As um, there is there is actually way more advances in diabetes technology in past few years. Now we have continuous glucose monitors, which can actually monitor your glucose uh, for 24 hours without you having to do the finger sticks. And one can actually see that glucose going up and down in real time and share it with their physicians as well as with their family members. And and, that, and that's regardless if it's type one or type two. Those monitors that you just discussed. Yes, they can be used I in see. type one as well as type two diabetes. Um, I, I'm going back to this friend of mine whose sons have, um, you know, the the type one, and the technology was is so advanced that she would get a notification in the middle of the night if suddenly the numbers had dropped and her son's sound asleep. He has no idea. He might have got a notification too, but he slept right through right. it. And the next thing you know, she's running downstairs to, to get him some liquids to get back into his system and um, get getting those numbers up. And I remember uh, when he was in school, you know, they kept they kept this medication in the nurse's office and he would go into the nurse's office at recess or whatever, PE or whatever times those were, and they would be checked by the nurses. But, you know, schools don't have nurses like they used to when, when my children were in school. And um, and so I don't really know, you know, I think I, if I'm if – I, tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. And I think whatever that medication is, it needed to be refrigerated. Am I right about that? That's correct. So if you're talking about um, type 1 diabetes yes. um, uh, in children, um, they are on insulin, and insulin has to be refrigerated. 
I see. I see. That that's that's I I'm, I know I'm flipping you back and forth between one and two, but I feel like you know I'm talking to the expert and and you have this information. So I and I really I really appreciate this, and I don't know if it's the same with people with type two, but I know for type one, you know, there's these pumps that they can have. I know that um, these are both very athletic young men, and sometimes you know they're athleticism also has an effect on on their diabetes as well. Am I right about that? That's correct. And insulin pumps are actually, um, they're gadgets where you can can use to take insulin, so you don't have to take injections. And uh, we used to have insulin pumps where we used to do finger stick glucose, and we had to put that information in the insulin pump, and the pump would then calculate the insulin dose. And it would tell you, okay, give five units, and you would give five units. But now we have what we call closed-loop system, which means the insulin pumps and the continuous monitors talk to each other. And so you're wearing a glucose monitor, you're wearing a glucose insulin pump, and the glucose monitor will transmit the level of glucose you have to the pump, and the pump calculates the dose of insulin, and it will give you a dose. And so you don't have to do the calculation or you don't have to put in that information. And that is very helpful, especially in children, because then, um, you know, they don't have to be given insulin injections and um, and between. And there are also some of the latest pumps are also um, set up in a way that if your glucose is low, is high, it will, it will readjust its insulin dose. And if the glucose is low, it will stop the pump so you don't get the hypoglycemic reaction, which most people fear of. Isn't that – how long has that technology been around? Is that relatively new? It's relatively new, but it's been there, for, I would say, at least four or five years. Got it. It's, 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 does hydration have anything to do with anything we're talking about? Yes, so it's important for patients with uh, uh, diabetes to keep themselves well hydrated because they are taking medications and uh, especially if they have uncontrolled diabetes, uh, if they have a lot of glucose in the system, they can get dehydrated very quickly. And when they get Mm -hmm. dehydrated, they go into conditions called diabetic ketoacidosis, which is a serious illness that requires hospitalization. Wow. How many, how many, how, I don't know if you know this number, so I'm sorry if, I, if I'm putting you on the spot, but how many, I mean, this doesn't just fix, uh, this doesn't just affect people in the United States. Diabetes is everywhere. Are there some countries that have a worse case scenario than others? There are, uh, diabetes is worldwide. But obviously, certain countries like Southeast Asia, diabetes is way more. Um, also, diabetes, uh, incidence of diabetes varies in different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, so, like Native Americans has the highest incidence of diabetes, and then Hispanics and Asians, especially Southeast Asians, have high incidence of diabetes compared to Caucasians. Why is that? Is there is there an explanation behind that? There is. Uh, basically, um, you know, there's a lot of factors involved. There is genetics involved, and 
then there is it's a mix of genetics and environmental factors interesting so so your environment i, I that that also surprises me i i um how how would you define that how is it that environments would um contribute is that a, a physical lifestyle oh. Uh, definitely, in my lifestyle um, uh, and your diet, what kind of diet you're used to having, and the socioeconomic status, uh, what resources are available. I think there's uh, multiple factors that affect uh, diabetes management. I see. I, I hadn't thought about that. That makes that makes sense. So, um, what are some of the ways that people can get help? This is a perfect lead-in to what you just said, that don't have insurance and can't see a physician or can't afford medications. What's, what do they do? So in the United States, there are several resources available to help people who can't afford medical care. Um, there are community clinics almost in every city that are completely free, and not many people uh, know about this. There are many organizations like ours that will offer free diabetes screening and education throughout the year. Um, almost all hospitals have some free diabetes classes that they run throughout the year. Um, of course, during COVID, they were interrupted, but most of them have resumed. Um, hospitals offer educational sessions and support groups for people with diabetes. As far as medications, there are um, several patient assistance programs that pharmaceutical companies offer sometimes uh, for people who don't have insurance. But again, mm -hmm. those programs, you have access to those programs through your physician. So if you see your physician regularly, there's a lot we can do to help our patients. Um, oh, that's, that's great. I do encourage everyone to ask their providers about these programs. That's that's yes because maybe the fear of asking um, they they don't want to get they don't want to get an answer they don't want so but the alternative is is devastating it's worse I mean you know I'd like to think that people still take their children to pediatricians and that people still you know get get exams but you know if you're out of work and you don't have insurance and there's a lot of you living in the household, and it's like you know, it's that's the environment I believe you were referring to. It, it's it's not easy, and okay. I can okay. I can appreciate the challenges behind that. So that kind of takes me into what I'd really like to spend some time about because I don't. I'm sorry to say I don't have your book in front of me, but let's talk about your book, which is called Diabetes Beyond Numbers. And um, I will definitely be letting people um, know how they can purchase this book. It's, you can get it right off of your website. But uh, let's. When when did your book come out? I, I'm I, I'm not certain. Did it come out this past year? Yes, the book was published in November 2020. Okay, so just real, really recently. So I'm sure yeah. I'm sure it took a while to put this together. You didn't write it overnight, and I know that it's really important that people, you know, have this this opportunity to learn about what it is. Why Why did you decide to write it to start with? So I have been seeing patients uh, with diabetes for about 23 years, and one thing I noticed consistently. 
was lack of clear understanding about diabetes. Um, I noticed that even the most educated patients still had misconceptions about the disease. And most of the books out there uses medical terminology, which makes it difficult for people to understand. So in this book, I tried to simplify complex medical concepts into very easy and simple language uh, and addressing the questions that people have in their mind, the ones that remain unanswered. There are so many questions that people sometimes have that they don't either ask their providers uh, and they're not clear about it. Yes. So how long did it take you to write that book? Uh, so it took me about a year to write the book. Okay. I, I, I have so, so many authors that join me uh, each week, and everybody has their own process, you know, depending upon what it is their subject matter is all about. I, I really like the cover of your book. I think your you, the book cover is very appealing to me visually, um, and um, so congratulations on your book coming out. And I think it's it's important for anybody that has diabetes, like you said, or pre-diabetes, or they have a loved one with diabetes. It, it's it's important, and I know that you're you are a specialist, and you actually speak on this subject in a lot of different places, don't you? You are sought after, as they say. Sure. So yeah, the idea behind the book was to provide a resource or a guide that will provide a clear understanding of what happens in diabetes. Uh, one of the questions that I get asked uh, very frequently is, what is the relationship? People don't really understand what is the relationship between heart disease and heart disease and hypertension and and diabetes. So I've tried to explain that. And oh, I've, it also offers some various tips on uh, tips on various diet plans and medications. I've tried to explain how these medications work. Um, so I think the book will really help the reader, um, uh, you know, with a game plan to manage the diabetes and uh, uh, for or or even for the loved ones if they're taking care of their parents or or children or siblings with diabetes, it can even mm-hmm. help them, uh, you know, learn more about diabetes. Well, I also think the other thing that I think your book does as well is that you make it so that people can understand it. It's a layman's way of reading this. This is not written for physicians. This is written for people that are going to get this understanding. My guess, based on the kind of personality that I have, if I was to read something in your book, this would probably be something that I would be highlighting with a yellow pen, and then I'd be going to my doctor and I'd be saying, can we talk about this? It seems like it's a great opening for a dialogue for whoever is following your care. Would you would you say that this is a good roadmap for that? That is absolutely. That is my goal, to provide good. them with the basics and that way they can start thinking about their own diabetes and how they're doing and and start asking those questions to the providers. So do you think that that's one of the ways that people that are going to read your book are going to be able to help manage their diabetes? Are there any other suggestions on how reading your book will help others manage their diabetes? Yes, I think reading the book will uh, basically, you know, obviously provide them a clear understanding of how this disease happens and how they can 
what all are they required to do, how they can monitor it effectively, uh, things. It also talks about uh, various age groups like uh, or special situations like uh, diabetes, how to manage it during pregnancy, what things are important, mm. or um, if you're an elderly person, diabetes management is a little bit different in elderly. So it talks about that. It also talks about what to do when you're traveling and you have diabetes. There are certain to remember when you're traveling. So it gives you tips about that. Um, so I think it overall is going to provide them a good uh, game plan um, to manage their diabetes. Well, since you've been in this field for such a long time, um, I'm a story collector. I, I, I like people's stories. And I will certainly let people know how they can purchase your book and how they can get a copy of this. But in thinking about, and I realize you've been doing this a very long time, but are there just certain, what I would call, in quotes, success stories? Are, are there certain stories that come to your mind as, that's like, you know, there was this one family or there was this one person or whatever. Do you, do you have some stories that you could share with us that give us that kind of hope? Yeah, sure. I mean, I would say there are there are many success stories. There are people who have um, who were who came to me for something else, and we checked. Uh, we were doing some baseline workup, and we found them to be diabetic, and then we started taking care of them, and they're doing very well. There are also people who uh, get referred to me in uh, in a very uh, uncontrolled state. Uh, and like the hemoglobin and test that we do is very high. And, you know, at that point, they're thinking that nothing is working for them. They're depressed. And we have to kind of start all over again and have a conversation. And there are so many instances when I've had patients who were on five or four or five injections of insulin, and, they, and now they're down to nothing. Uh, wow. And with the help of other medications and with the help of diet and exercise and working as a team, we have been able to do that for many patients. Um, Regard, regardless of their age. Regardless of your age and regardless of what you're doing, I think it's, it's just a matter of um, set, having a good mindset and finding some support system and making up your mind. Yeah. I can I can I can I can see that. I can I can see where the two have to go together and I I like what you say um when you're describing your book that sometimes we just need the layman's terms um uh, without the medical jargon because sometimes it's it's already overwhelming. So you want to have it simplified just as you said so that we don't develop heart disease so that we don't have breakdowns in other organs in our body. And I think that your tips are are very important. And and I think that people need to take that kind of control over their body. And if you if you're somebody that has an elderly parent and and you're seeing some concerns, maybe this is when you do go to the doctor with your parent or you you do have these um telemeds where you can have a joint zoom call with a physician and your mother father aunt uncle so that you're both hearing the same thing at the same time because sometimes it's overwhelming when you go to the doctor
doctor and the doctor gives you this information and you're going, oh my God, I'm I, I'm I'm not listening. I, I can't. I I'm not yeah. hearing what you're saying because I'm too frightened by this information. And I that must happen, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That always it's always good to take another person with you. It can be a family member or a close friend. Uh, because there's so much information, especially during the first couple of visits, uh, that you it is overwhelming, and you're already uh, sometimes nervous about your situation, and sometimes people are depressed, and having another friend or a family member with you certainly helps. Yes, I, I think that's true. So as as we have these last 10 minutes together, we really do have some time, what are what do you want people to take away from listening to our podcast that's going to make a difference in the life that maybe their life or the life of their loved ones what what's important that people take away from this conversation I think I would like to repeat uh, what I what my mission is for the organization and that is you know to prevent, to create awareness, and to try to prevent diabetes from happening, and if it happens, try to prevent the complications. And I think what people can do that is by educating themselves, by creating awareness, by learning more about diabetes, and by modifying their lifestyle, staying physically active. Yes, it's it's important, and I. I'm I'm grateful that you've spent this time with us and that people can can read this. Does your book come in more than one language? Uh, my book is actually uh, currently available in English and Vietnamese, but it's going to be translated into more languages soon, and there is an audio book coming up soon. Oh, that is so cool! So I, I'm I'm so glad I asked you that because. That that's something that I I did not know. So that that's terrific. And in fact, <clears throat> I could really see maybe down the line when you work with your publishing company or whatever, because so many books now are um, audio books. Um, you had mentioned sure. one yeah. of the conditions for with diabetes sometimes is vision. Is there any? possibility down the route the road that you may actually make this an audio book as well yes so my audio book is actually currently uh it's an in process so it should be out within a couple of couple of months and the spanish Spanish translation as well as the uh, uh, urdu translation is uh, planned to come out in uh sometime next year I think that's terrific. I, I really I applaud you for doing that because that just opens up how many more people can truly benefit what it is that you do, which which is your which is your your intention. I when I when I look at your website and you talk about being um a global speaker, I can see why that's the case and that you are a philanthropist, that you are someone that gives and so frankly as as i'm listening to you and as i'm i'm looking at this beautiful picture of you and and your book and everything another thought that went through my mind and that's just because that's how my mind works 
is I could see this definitely being a TED Talk where it's going to get out in front of people where you will be on the stage somewhere where people can come and 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 listen to you and and learn more about what you're doing because I'm trying to add more complications to your life so you're welcome <laughs> but you know like you don't have enough to do already sure. right <laughs> not a problem at all that is that is something I uh, I'm passionate about and I would love to educate more people well is there any other thing you'd like us to know about you? I, I just, per, from a personal standpoint, um, where were you born? I'm just curious. Were, were you born here in the States? Uh, no, in Pakistan. You were born in Pakistan. Okay. Did you get your education in both places? Did you? Where, uh, where yes. were you educated? So I got my early education in Pakistan, and then I did my uh, postgraduate medical training uh, in USA. Okay. And aren't you doing, am I right, are you doing something with Harvard right now, or do I have you confused? Do I have myself confused? Uh, yes, uh, because I was, um, with my interest in writing, medical writing, I did a uh, medical writing certification from um, Harvard Medical School, and I'm uh, and I certified uh, last year. Congratulations. So that Thank just, you. You're, you're, you are a forever learner, aren't you? You're not just giving information. You are somebody that is always learning, aren't you? Yes, and I absolutely love to learn. I, learn. I love to do that uh, because I think to give information, you have to constantly keep yourself updated. Yes, I think that's true, and I and I think that that's terrific. And when people visit your website, they'll be able to see all the different um, areas of your expertise, obviously. You know, you don't see people here on the West Coast because you want to let people know where you are actually located. So I am out of Chicago. And uh, uh, if you go on our uh, organization's website, uh, you can um, connect with me through that uh, website. And I also have a personal website, which is which you had mentioned earlier, uh, which is mynamemd.com, nizachalishamd.com. Uh, you can get information, and you can connect me, and there is a way to communicate with me through the email. Um, you can do that. Um, also, I would like to share that our, through our organization, we host a, a diabetes walk annually. And this year our mm-hmm. walk is on June 26th. And What's if that, anyone wait, would like to participate, it's on it Sunday, June 26th. June 26th, is that what it says? I yes, mean, that's correct. what it is, June the 26th? Okay. Um, yes. Oh, I see. You know what? So I'm looking at this, and this is why I shouldn't read and talk at the same time because my brain is not happy with that. So right here you have an annual 5K with the early registration that starts on March the 15th. But the actual uh, 5K is on June the 26th. But do you, I, I presume you have to be where you're located to do this unless people are starting 5Ks in the communities that they live in. Is that possible? Yes. So you can register for the walk and you can be there in person if you're in the area and you can join us virtually if you're not in the area. Uh, and for oh, past two years uh, with pandemic, we have been doing we have been doing this since 2017, but past two years we, did it, we had to do it virtually. 
and we plan to mm -hmm. continue doing both in person as well as virtually um, uh, even this year. Well, congratulations. So that's just next month. You know, that's not far away. And I think it's kind of um, in, in keeping with what's important about health in that you're talking about a walk, a 5K. I mean, you could run the 5K. You could walk the 5K. But what you made very clear is that diet and exercise is very, very um, it goes hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other, can you? Absolutely. And in our walk, we don't only restrict to doing uh, to walking, but we do a lot of other fun educational activities. Uh, like we do, we start with di pre-diabetes screening. We have quizzes for kids as well as for adults. Um, and then, uh, you know, kids, we if they they win prizes if they, are, they do the quizzes correctly and it encourages them to participate. We make it a family event. We encourage kids to come. We encourage uh, senior citizens to participate. We have activities for them too. Oh, I think that's wonderful. And school will be out. And what will the, what will the weather be like in, in your part of the country at that time? Is it relatively oh, mild? The weather should be good in June, so we, we try to keep it in June so it's not too cold, but it's also not too hot. Right. Well, I think that what you're doing is very, very important, and I'm really, frankly, very honored that you've taken the time out of what everybody can see by listening to you, a very, very busy lifestyle. So how do you balance? How do you, like bring it down and calm yourself down so that you can be so active and productive? What do you do to calm down? Um, so I like, uh, obviously, I have my practice, and I like writing, and I think writing is writing. When I'm writing stuff, that calms me down. Uh, hmm. Doing um, some meditation is a good mm -hmm. thing, and I've always found meditation to be a great resource to calm, calm yourself down and um uh, like um, to um, travel, uh, so in between all the work, if you just take a, even a short break and travel somewhere and just have fun for two days and come back, it really sets you up and charges you up to start all over again. I could not agree with you more. I think that what you just said is important. While I, I'm not writing a book, so writing isn't something that I do, but meditating and yoga is absolutely part of my weekly practice that I that I consider self-care. I think self-care is important regardless of your age. We Sometimes we just have to be quiet with ourselves, you know, and just let the universe kind of come in and 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 give us some information. And, you know, who, who doesn't want to travel? I know I, you know, we've all been sort of, you know, under travel restrictions of sorts. And, you know, mm -hmm. that's where we're living right now and hopefully as we get more and more control over this pandemic you know you know the, n the numbers and the information seems to be constantly changing on what part of the country you live in what what is access what is expected mask wise you know and all of that that seems to be changing from day to day but i think what's important is what you said which is to manage you you've got to start with the physical you, because you said you could be a pre-diabetic and have zero 
symptoms, and you don't even know. So I would recommend that all of you out there, if you haven't had a physical in a while, it's time. Make certain that you are taking care of your health so that you're around a long time for your loved ones and for you to have the lifestyle that will bring you peace and happiness. Wouldn't you say that that's really vitally important? Hello? That is absolutely important. Oh. That is absolutely okay. important to get the screening done and your, you know, even if you get your physicals once a year, that should be good enough to get the screening you require to get all those uh, basic health maintenance um, stuff. So I would strongly recommend people to make sure they're going for the routine physical checkup. Well, thank you. Is there is there a National Diabetes Month? I should have looked that up. I meant to do that. Is there a particular month where, you know, it's like National Diabetes Month? Yes, November is the National Diabetes Month. Okay. Well, very good to know, and I'll, I'll make note of that for myself and, and perhaps just reshare this podcast at that time. But I just want to thank you once again for... For for joining me today, Dr. Tulisa, um, it's it's been really um, informative and encouraging, and I'm grateful for the time you spent with me today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye everyone, and we'll be back together next week. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and have a great week. Bye for now. <laughs> 